horror movie podcast i'm one of your hosts freddie also known as night and night and alongside me on the web we have david spoopy boys also known as nightly we are a group of knights with an absolute love for film and a passion for horror this is a podcast that takes a different horror film to break down and discuss the ultimate question why horror so hit the lights sit back and let the darkness envelope you you can support the show over at patreon.com forward slash goodnightlife. And that's night with a what? K. By pledging on Patreon, you will have access to the show as early as Monday. If you have no bucks to toss, don't worry about it. A new episode is released every Friday on most podcast services around the world. Now, our future presentation with this month being Trick or Treat Month. We are exploring films around the pagan holiday, Halloween, my favorite Ooh. holiday. We have the movie Hell House, LLC. And David, first and foremost, thoughts. Excuse me, I had a cough. Freddie. <laughs> yes. This movie had me so giddy. I had nice. a smile cheek to cheek um, after like the halfway point of this movie because I... I was getting a little down on myself. Beginning of this movie, maybe like first like 30 minutes or so, I was just like, man, what is it? Is it, am I just watching too many horror movies that they're just not getting to me anymore? Uh, I'm not getting spooked because I, I predict everything that's happening. But this movie at a certain point just turns it on and slowly escalates it. And I love it, man. It, I think, I think playing with the idea of things moving when you're not looking, even if it's for a second, it's so brilliant and it's done so well here. Um, the found footage is um, pretty realistic, in my opinion. I, it give, Like we've talked about on different found footage episodes, for, like in our found footage month. Uh, there's a right. reason to hold the camera there. And uh, it's for a document documentary reasons, right? They want to um, record the process of this haunted house that they're making. Um and it's cool, and it's also kind of vlog style at points, um, and it does such a good job of playing with keeping your eyes in different locations because you think something's going to happen, but something doesn't always happen, so it keeps you on your toes. There's a big sense of anxiety in the beginning of the movie, and later it just turns into dread throughout the movie, which I think is transitioned very well. Um, I love this movie. I had a blast watching this movie. I ha- actually nice. saw you posted something on social media a day or two ago saying about or speaking on how you can't wait to talk about this uh, episode. And I was right. like, oh, no, I shouldn't have seen that because now the bar is set. Anytime my expectations are set anywhere, like it usually won't reach it. But uh, I was pleasantly surprised. I was I was scared at moments, but I was smiling and laughing because I'm like, "Ooh, it's getting to me. It's spooping me." So yeah, I'm a huge okay. fan. I love that because you're getting to the point where I was, where it's like, okay, I've watched enough scary movies that I get excited when the movie actually starts scaring me. Like it's actually getting me scared. I don't get yeah. scared that often, and it's getting me, and that makes me smile as well. Exactly. Uh, this movie is very interesting. It's very different. It's very well done, I would say. Uh, as a found footage movie, 
I feel like the beginning was a little slow paced, but when it picks up, it picks up for sure. Um, yeah. I would say because it is probably a very low budget film, uh, there's not a lot of huge moments in this movie that's like super scary and in your face, but it's the subtle things like you were talking about, like, oh, did something move? Oh, it did move. Or maybe it didn't. It's like, oh, there's a little sound coming over here, but there's nothing there. It plays well on that. As a low-budget film, they did an incredible job of getting the spooks out there without going over the top. And totally. keeping it very, very grounded. This movie is a very grounded movie. I have to agree with super you. super wild. Yeah. yeah. There's so many moments where I... It would like especially during the the first act, like you said, it starts off very slow, and I was almost checked out um, within the first thirty minutes because I'm like, come on, you guys aren't doing anything. Give me a little scare. Give me something, right? Um, and the the way the movie opens up and how slow the foundation is, I think is very necessary for it to have some weight and worthiness towards the second act and what that kind of breaks down. Mm. Um, That's fair. It makes its own. It create. We're creating an urban legend here by watching this, and I think that's really cool. Um, and how, in retrospect, as the documentary docu- documentary interviewees are speaking on this group of friends that have their own company, they really speak about them in a sense of mourning, like, "Oh, it's so sad. This young independent company." had this downfall and it's a it's a really good take it never felt low budget to me even though it is um and the scares i mean when it comes down to it you know we're a horror movie podcast it comes down to the spoops and there were times absolutely where i had the heebie-jeebies and i was like kicking my knees up and flailing my arms and i was like woohoo and then like laughing and giggling <laughs> because i was like that just happened that just happened uh and like you said they're just so subtle but it just shows that you don't need um a lot of loud noises bangs jump scares like things can just be creepy and that's enough right and the thing about this movie too when we're talking about like it's being very subtle but at the same time these are like say if it's a haunting or demonic possession or whatever was really going on inside that house it's in their face and it's not afraid of them it starts off pretty strong of like the first scare is pretty strong you're like oh they're making it well known that there's something going on in this movie or this group of people are going through something pretty terrifying yeah kind of play it off and you're like no don't play that off that's super creepy what are you talking about yeah you have footage of that like yeah you guys reviewed it but what i what i really enjoyed was the presence that was in hell house was very much fucking with them like i imagine the presence in the house was giggling as much as i was when they would turn a corner to a different room and be like what the fuck is going on i could just imagine like these entities going right uh when in reality it is very uh it does get like kind of ritual ritualistic later um there are some corny bits at the end, but for it being low budget, I could forgive it. Um, I think it actually still did a good job. Um, and, you know, with the distorted video effects, those can be hit or miss. Um, and I think that just right. comes down to preference, um, it, depending if you're a detail-oriented person or not. But um, I thought I thought this was a cool movie for sure because you even have characters that are 
huge characters in the film, but they don't really get much screen time. They're kind of in the back, but you know they're important. Um, so, I, yeah, I can't wait for us to talk about it. All right. So, uh, how about this? We'll just start diving into it right now. Let's do it. Uh, so, Hell House LLC is directed by Stephen Cognetti. It released on, I don't know if I got that right. Oh, yeah, June 16th, 2015. And it has a runtime of about one hour and 23 minutes. Uh, the version I saw was about one hour and 30 minutes. So I don't know if this is a longer cut. But there's a lot of mystery to this movie, too, because I couldn't find a budget for this movie at all. Nor oh, did I find a box office for this movie. Huh. So very under the radar. So I'm not surprised because Prince picks out these movies that he wanted to give us this little probably indie film. Which I'm yeah. happy that he did. Have uh, you it does seen have... this movie before? I, I'm sorry, what was that? Have you actually seen... You've seen this movie before, correct? No. Never oh, even this heard is your of first this movie. Time. Oh, yeah. Okay, cool. I don't know why I had the assumption that you had uh, watched this before and was a fan. But uh, I love that then. I love that we could yeah. both go into this. And it does have a Rotten Tomato score of uh, 89%. Well deserved. Not bad at all. But the movie starts... Right away, straight away, with no opening titles at the front. We get a shot of someone in a car filming outside of a window with some trees. We cut to black and a message appears. What you're about to see is a documentary on the mysterious events surrounding 2009 Halloween Haunted House Tour tragedy. Ooh. We cut to the people back in the car and stopping outside of an abandoned house. We hear Diane's voice ask, in your opinion, what happened that night at the abandoned, uh, I can mispronounce this so many, so many times, <laughs> abandoned house, a hotel? Oh, abandoned? man. Uh, they said it in the movie, and now it's just like missing from the tip of my tongue. I'm going to say abandoned hotel. That sounds... Abaddon? Okay. I think it's Abaddon. Abaddon? Abaddon. Yeah. I think That's so. That's when we... Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure you're right. Abaddon. That's when we cut to an interview with Martin Clive, a journalist. He says, I don't know. Then we cut to Miranda Kelly, who was a witness at the event, and says, I have no idea. We cut to Diane and the camera person at the private property trying to get into the place. Then we get a shot of the sign on the ground that reads, Hell House. Then we cut to a news clip. Breaking news. And the uh, breaking news headline says, Halloween tour chaos. Then we cut to another interview of a woman saying, to this day, I can't give you an answer to that question. Then someone else saying it was a tragedy in so many levels. What were you thinking when you were hearing all of this? So it's a pretty strong start. Yeah, immediately when there is a setup like this, I just want to know what's happened. And I want to know if it's worth the commotion. Um, so just like mm, you, I'm sure... Point. I'm sure you're feeling the same sense as I am. I'm very curious. I'm like, all right, lay it on me. What happened? What so tragically could have happened in this house um, that won't seem corny or something, right? Or a stretch. Um, so very early on, we get introduced that there there's footage on what happened in there. I'm like, all right, let's see it. Right. Show me this goods. Yep. <laughs> Uh, I feel like this movie is very strange that they started this way. I feel like if they just started with the found footage, that would have been strong. I don't think the whole documentary had to be a thing. I, it's a good mix, too. But that's I just actually, I, uh, I like that they went that approach because if it opened with foot, 
found footage, I think it would have kind of blended with other, you know, films in the genre. Found footage movies. Yeah. yeah that's fair. Um, so already I was like, okay, documentary style, faux documentary, right? Um, let's see where they're going with this because, again, it just had me curious. And uh, I was right. just curious to see what the documentary was actually about. Uh, so it was kind of prepping me because they spoke on it in a way that it's like this this thing is terrible. Everyone was talking about it. Everyone knew about it. And it's like right. the cops won't even unexplained. say anything. Yeah. So I right. think very um, hush, hush. I think I'm a sucker for that because uh, like Bella and I back when there were episodes like new episodes coming out. We would love uh, BuzzFeed's Unsolved and, you know, things like that, like things that are just left unresolved. Um those yeah. things are fun to watch, in my opinion. I'm a sucker for those. Uh, no, trust me, me too. Unsolved <laughs> Mysteries on like Netflix, like that came out earlier this year. Yeah, fantastic. I exactly. love that kind of stuff. Well, we're back with the news clip. They say that there was a tragedy that has happened, and the police aren't even answering any of the questions. That's when we cut to another interview with Robert Lyons, an author. He says, "You had older victims and younger victims." There are people who are paying for the scare experience in a controlled environment, but in the end, they got something a lot worse, which was chaos. And then back to the news clip, we hear a small abandoned hotel was transformed into a haunted house that was going on for a few weeks. That's when we cut to black again and see the text that reads, October 8th, 2009, a Halloween haunted house opened its doors in a Ab- Abaddon? New York, a small town just outside of New York City, Rockland County. We get back to the news clip saying that they're unsure if anyone in the company has made it out alive at the moment. The interview, uh, then it goes back to the interview with a few guests that didn't know what was going on as well. We are now back with Diane walking around the hotel. They head to the back door and is able to get through it. We cut to black and hear thunder roaring. Back with the author, he says... Whenever people ask me what happened in Hell House, I tell them to watch the video. You tell me. Then we get a screen that reads, A video was shot by a tour, uh, by a tour goer was uploaded to YouTube. So what did we you see think the... at that point, Freddie, when um, we had the text on the screen? And it said right. that. Did you expect anything crazy? Mm, uh, I felt like that was the video that we're going to end up watching. For the rest of the movie? I thought so wasn't. too. Yeah. So I it was, was like, like, it was a weird, that was a good clip. I mean, they do a really good job at the end where they start showing t- like several different footages like stitched together to make the scene mm-hmm. work to see what was going on, which I, I I thought that was very smart for this film to do. And it's very, yeah, a very intelligent move as the director chose to like film it that way because then we I get different perspectives helps. of the night. Yeah, yeah, I think it helps a lot just because I think when this movie opens up and you're seeing the faux documentary, you're seeing the news, you're uh, then getting introduced to a YouTube um, video. And I think also with, uh, was it Diane that is uh, exploring Hell House from the outside? Um, right. There's all, it's overwhelming. Um, there's a lot happening. And um, there are a lot of people that look very similar in this movie. Whether True. on like either gender, right? And uh, it's easy to mix them up because these scenes are kind of happening back to back very quickly. So I think at the end when it does stitch them all together and you see the same clips the movie opened up with, 
it helps a lot. It uh, it helps you kind of tie in all the loose ends. And yeah, I agree with you. I think it was a really good move. Right. It's just to see like all the different perspectives and just literally what people are saying in the news articles. It's like it's chaos. And you see the chaos in different perspectives and you're just like, yeah, mm-hmm. this is a madhouse right now. When they go through it made the me wonder. end sequence. I'm it sorry, made me that? wonder if it was worth all the hubbub. Oh, for sure. Yeah. But the YouTube video starts, and then we see the sign, Hell House, and people are waiting to get in. Then we get our next title card. It captured the scene inside as chaos broke out. The guests start to go inside, and it's super spooky in there. I was like, this is a pretty solid haunted house, I gotta say. It's not bad, uh, not bad. Yeah, it's got your typical haunted house stuff with your ghouls and your frights, and there's blood everywhere. Super cool. Uh, that's when we see a clown pass them and they ask if they worked here. And uh, of course, there's no answer and the clown just keeps running off. Then we see a lady run past them, opening a side door going up some stairs. They ask if that's supposed to happen. The camera guy was unsure. They continue on. We see this scary bartender and they move through the next room downstairs. They begin to get stuck in the stairwell for the crowd of people are not letting them go through. We hear some panic screaming, and then they begin to rush back up. We see a bunch of people start to run and are very panicked at this point. The guy with the camera is telling her that they got to go and even falls over, knocking a bunch of things down. They head to the exit, and we see everyone, everyone inside panicking and also heading to the exit as well. The paramedics and firefighters begin to get onto the scene, and then that's where the video just ends. Now, seeing that YouTube video, David... How'd you feel about the whole sequence? It's I so I actually, it's a lot of stuff. Yeah, I um I like the so what we find out later on it's Sarah that runs across um the Hell House right um you know floorway and goes through uh, a hidden door up the staircase and I just just wanted to know like was that person running from something um. Are they intentionally trying to do something? Like, what's going on there? Like, of course, curiosity uh, sparked. And I think that's what it's intending to do. But what I really appreciate is the sense of crowding and uh, panic that happened when this YouTube video was, like, filming everyone on the perspective of looking downstairs in the basement. And everyone's just turning around and just waving their arms going, go, go, go. It felt so real. Um, Right. And I feel like that's not too easy to pull off in acting especially when it's like a big group like that who knows i may sound ignorant saying that but it felt very much like an actual youtube video it didn't feel fake i agree it felt like someone could have actually recorded this off their phone or something and i think that's great uh, they do a really good job of making the found footage feel like found footage like this is something someone would have recorded and like you said it felt like a real life youtube video it looked like a real haunted house. And when we get into the movie facts, we'll talk about that as well. But there's a sense of genuineness in this movie where it feels very realistic, which is nice. Yeah, and totally. Yeah, it, it's totally something hard for a group of people to pull off. And you feel like, yeah, you're stuck in this stairwell and people are freaking out and no one's moving. That's very realistic. People would get stuck in the stairwell and not be able to go down and people are panicking to try to get out. It's just like human nature. We've seen that before, too. Like I went to a music festival and they evacuated the place and that was literally the thing. 
people are side by side, not knowing what to do, and you feel stuck in this little section, slowly being able to like exit out, which is crazy. But yeah, they pull and it then off. You even they have, do a good job. You even you even see like people that like are just pushing people, doing what they can to try to get through, right? And I think that's where it's real, real, real realistic <laughs> but um like you have people that are just standing there because they don't know what to do and then you have others that are like move out of the way i gotta get out right you see different people react differently which is realistic too and you mm-hmm. can see the guy get knocked down and hit the floor and knock a bunch of stuff over in the kitchen so yeah. that was a nice little touch too because yeah it just shows what the these articles were saying it's like it's very chaotic and it works mm-hmm. But we open to a news clip of paramedics bringing out a gurney. Uh, developing story, multiple injuries and fatalities. Then we transition to a 911 call. Caller says, I'm, I'm at the old Abanon Hotel. Can you please send some police? The operator says, what's the problem? Caller says, I don't know. There's something. And then there's static that interrupts. And we hear, into the wall. We hear some weird sounds as she says, please hurry. I don't want to die. Man, that is a pretty yeah. scary phone call. And the, Yeah, but at this point, I'm like, all right, you guys are kind of teasing me too much. Just show me what happened. Right. I want to know. It's and a what good I, setup. Yeah, I appreciate with that call, you kind of hear stuff in the background, um, kind of like muffled voices. And uh, like, it doesn't sound like other people, but it sounds like uh, foreign entities that, you know, could be causing harm. Right. It's hard to Absolutely. miss. I mean, it's easy to miss. I apologize. No, we, we got you. We understand. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's when we cut to a street with some moving cars with a voiceover saying, the cause of deaths were due to a malfunction, and the police are not explaining what the malfunction is. Back with the author, he says only uh, that they only have the YouTube video and the call to determine what happened. Then explains that Martin Clever was a person that we saw earlier inside the interviews is a photographer who actually got into the hotel after the fact that he took photos and put it up on the internet for people to see that it begs a bunch of questions that the town does now want to answer. We cut to him and he explains that everything was super hush hush. So he decided just to go to the hotel himself. Then we get a few glimpses of his photos we see some blood on the walls and one picture and other pictures show blood on the floor. And then back with the interview, they ask him about the blood on the floor. He says it debunks the theory that there was a gas leak. And that was one of the fan theories that there was a gas leak that happened inside the haunted house. And then we cut back and forth between the photos and the YouTube video. Then we begin. Uh, then he begins to say that he made it to the basement door and it was broken, like something busted right through it. He explained that he stood there to the side and took photos from the top of the stairs, that he's been to some scary places in his life, but there was no way he was going down those stairs. Did I feel photos... like that was a really nice touch. Yeah, I think Yeah, I think that comment, because I think it's relatable, that a lot of people get that kind of weird feeling or that sense of being creeped out and just, you know putting something around the corner and like a camera and just taking pictures without even looking. I think that's relatable. Uh, did the photos do anything for you, Freddie? Because I'm no, curious on your really. thoughts. Okay. Yeah. Because they had spoken on the photos. Like these were so gruesome. I think in, in real life they would be right. But in a context of a movie, it, it, they seem a little tame to me. 
Um, so it didn't Wait, really add any to, uh, weight. Just to validate that something violent happened there rather than knowing it was like not a gas leak or people were able to ask more questions like, no, if there's blood on the walls and floor, something more tragically happened in that place that the police are not talking about. So it's That's more a of a, a statement, I would say. Yeah. But yeah, the photos itself as a viewer, yeah, had no effect on me. Yeah. But okay, cool. Because uh, I was like... like the documentary, been, if they want to document it, that's definitely an important part for it. I agree. I because I've just been contemplating lately. I'm like, am I becoming so desensitized? Um, so, but <laughs> that's why I wanted to ask you. I was like, I should ask Freddie. Probably, <laughs> probably, yeah. But I don't want to be that desensitized. But uh, yeah, so I actually was confused on the kind of the weight of the photos because I, with this photographer being on the face of the movie so much already. I thought he was going to be a prolific character throughout the whole uh, documentary. Uh, so I was That's like, fair. this is it. This is all, all that you mustered up with the photography. Right. But it makes sense because he's not really uh, a main character. Right. And we don't meet the main characters until uh, later on, which is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, then we cut to the photos that he took from the bottom of the stairs and we see this like bloody footprint thing at the very bottom of the steps and some like handprints at the very bottom as well. Then we get a title card that reads Sarah Havel, a member of the Hell House, reached out to documentarian uh, Diane Graves. And I just put here great name having the last <laughs> name Graves. Yeah, it's very haunting. <laughs> and agreed to interview at a hotel near the place. She has not been heard from since the tragedy. Diane asks her to state her name and age to the camera. She responds, Sarah Havel, I'm 30 years old. Then she asks if she has been a member of a hell house since the very beginning in 2002. She says yes. She then asks where she has been since, since this tragedy. And she said that I've been, I'm in a better place now. She says she's been with her family and has done much better. Diane explains that many people have theories and guesses of what happened that night, and the police are keeping everything a secret. That's when Sarah says, that's a really good idea. Diane asks why. She responds, if people knew what really went down inside of that house, it would have been hard for them to deal with. Diane is saying, I guess that's what we really are wondering and what really happened down there. Diane asks, can you start from the beginning and let us know what happened inside that house? Sarah puts her bag on the table, and Diane asks, what's that? And that's when she says, it's everything. <laughs> what do you think was going on in that moment for you in your head, seeing everything um, go down? So this is where I was kind of commenting on how a lot of people in this movie look very similar to each other. Because you have Sarah. Okay. Um. I'll say it. they're all like everyone I'm gonna describe as like a uh, a woman, a white woman, right? Oh, you have Sarah, um, Diane, the uh, interviewer, and, and the is it Melissa? The is that the girl that was on the YouTube video? Oh no, she was the girl that was uh, tied up in the basement. The oh yeah, no, not her, not not so much because she did have different color hair, but like Diane, Sarah, and um, the girl that was on the YouTube video. Um, they all are white girls with like brown hair. So I'm like, I started getting like kind of fumbled on who's who. And that's probably my bad. 
Um, <laughs> but I wasn't sure on like, is this the girl from the YouTube video or not? But when she pulled the the tapes out, I was like, oh, I really thought we were going to watch this whole thing through the lens of what the happened after the event, right? I didn't, I didn't right. think we were going to see what actually happened on tape. And I think that is where I started feeling intrigued. Right. I agree. This, it was a good tactic to use because uh, it's like a found footage movie inside a found footage movie. There's yeah. layers to it. What I do There's, appreciate is yeah. what I do appreciate is that uh, Diane had asked, well, how, how do you have this if the cops don't, right? Because I think um, right. any, any like uh, audience uh, member or viewer of this movie, right, is going to think like, yeah, how do you have this? And then it's like, well, she worked there and she immediately knew that she needed to grab these because something was going down. She had a suspicion and she was ready to. And it gives proper context to why she has them. Uh, and later on, we kind of find out more about that and why she has them. Um, right. But it it creates a sense of kind of realistic reasoning on how we were able to access these and view them now, which I appreciate. Which is good. It, it's a good uh, plot point. They really yeah. like thought this out, which was really smart. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't seem lazy. It very much respects the viewer's intelligence. Right. It, it has a purpose of why she has those tapes. It's just mm-hmm. we don't know that yet until the very end. Yeah. But everything has a purpose. It's not just there because it's there to move the plot. It's part of the yeah. plot. Yep. Uh, but yeah, when she says it's everything, she means everything that went on inside the house was taped. Mostly by Paul and Tony, some of our tour goers of the people who are involved in the haunted house. She explains that she got the tapes before the police did. Diane asks why she never turned them in, and that's when she says in return, you'll see. <laughs> creepy line too yeah uh diane calls in mitchell and he enters into the frame of the shot and takes the bag and leaves the room with the tapes diane says he will go through if the, uh, go through them and wash them if that's all right then she asks sarah if she has washed them herself and she says no then she asks her if she has any idea what's on them then she responds just the words hell house then we cut to a new title card that reads the hell house footage, August 23rd to August 8th, 2009. The footage starts rolling and we see it's August 23rd with 46 days until opening night in the title sequence. We see the whole crew from the hell house driving in the car playing guess that movie, which I felt like it was a very wholesome scene. Very nice moment. But then we see them beginning to argue about directions, and they're getting really close to their destination. Then we cut to them stopped at the side of the road with two of them outside arguing, which are Mac and Alex. They hop back in and finally get to the destination. They see the hotel and even mention that it's a shithole, which makes it perfect. They start to check the place out and have fun with all the junk outside. They get to the door where it says private property, which we saw earlier in the film. They open the door, and they are super excited to be there. Hell House 2009, one rejoices. They all begin to play around, touching a piano, going through some old books, and talk about how they're going to get some electricity to run through the hotel. 
They even make a funny comment that the place smells like a sweater, which I felt was a nice little detail. It gives us a context clue of how it really smelled inside there. I was like, yeah, yeah I can tell what that smells like. <laughs> um, they are super excited that they will get the place up and running by the opening day, and there's a lot of free production in there. Also, they make this, the comment that it also smells like money. Paul goes to the bar and asks if there's anything good, and no, there isn't. There's nothing good inside there whatsoever. Uh, Tony and Paul go into the wine cellar and talk about how the wine isn't good anymore as well. That it's good with old age, but not if it's been cooking in that room with heat over the years. We follow them to the next room where they find a broken plate with a little face on it. Tony says it looks like Sarah. And they also make a joke that the plate's face is actually cuter than her. And she notices and kind of like gives that eye to him. Yeah, uh, she's annoyed. Mention- yeah, super annoyed. And I would say this whole entire scene is a good setup of like their dynamic as a group together. Of yeah, how they I was interact. just bringing that up. And I was like, cool. It, it, it helps shows us... that they're not just coworkers, but they're a group of friends, right? Right. It makes us and care for these characters right off the bat. Yeah. Uh, they mentioned that they should stay the night, and Sarah says there is no fucking way they're staying in the night. That's what then I we thought. Cut to- <laughs> oh, I would just say the exact same thing. It's yeah. like, do these guys set up haunted hotel- uh, hotels and just stay there too? That's weird. Nah. <laughs> Leave work and like, home separate, right? Yeah, exactly. But uh, it just kind of shows too like how independent they are in this endeavor of like creating these haunted houses, right? Because they're probably oh, thinking sure. like we could save a lot of money if we um, exactly. You know, I was going to make that point. Get a place, yeah. So it shows kind of their like their economic situation too. Exactly. This is and the it, first context clue of like now they're staying in the place they're actually building up, and it shows why they yeah. can't easily just abandon the the job because clearly exactly. they don't have easily disposable income. Without a doubt, no, absolutely. They're they're like. No, we would have we have to stay here technically, yeah. because we can't afford to like be anywhere else. But yeah, uh, we cut to them in the attic and they see a swinging chain and says it's super creepy as it is. That's when we hear some weird static coming from Tony's walkie. He asks what it was and says I don't know and just stares at it for a little while. Then we actually hear a voice coming through calling them to come down to the basement. Relieved, he says they're on their way and they make their way through the house. We get this weird rewind effect in the footage and see into a room where there is a shadowy figure in the corner. And I was like, cool, I'm down for that. So I saw it and I was like, ooh, but then I thought "Mm, the editing, you know, kind of took it away from me because, um, you know, the camera pans by and then it stops. And then you have dramatic music, and it's it's basically right. shouting to the viewer, "Look at this! There's something in there." And I'm like, "Oh, you guys kind of went a little too far to help me there." Okay, that's fair because there's a lot of movies, of course, where it's fun to rewatch because you find things that you've like missed. Um, I'm thinking about Haunting of Hill House, the TV show that's on Netflix, where it's like, yeah, you're ghost hunting basically. You're like looking frame by frame, and you see little ghosts hidden throughout the the show. They could have done something like that for this movie. But at the same time, I don't know if... I, I like this movie. I do like Freddy. this movie a lot. But rewatchability, I, I don't know. I just had an epiphany. Yes. 
I actually think this was deliberate. Oh my goodness. If this is the case, this is genius. Imagine this. So I said what I just said, but what if it was intentional to be so dummy easy to show the audience that there's something in the room, right? It sets this expectation that this movie is going to show you when things are hiding in the corner, right? So it's like, we'll make this easier for you. We'll edit. We'll freeze frame. We'll have dramatic music. My expectations were set at that point. I was like, oh, this movie is not going to really let me look for things on my own in the background. But this is the only time that's the case in the movie, right? So if you think yeah, about it. There's a few times. That's true. I think there's a few times when it's necessary. There are moments later that I'm thinking of one or two other moments. But I think then it is necessary because it's there's a visual impairing effect going right. on and you need it. And it kind of validates your suspicions. Well, this one doesn't let you have your suspicion first. But okay, I think it fair. actually sets the bar for it to be... Look out uh, for stuff. Well, it sets the bar for you to have low expectations because I don't think this moment would be scary for most people uh, at all. Even if you're kind of... If you are vulnerable to being scared very easily. But in doing so, every moment after this, all the scares after this are not similar to this one. You have moments where it's very questionable and uh realistic because you're seeing paul record it and paul freak out and even paul questioning did this happen am i freaking out is someone messing with me so i actually think this is a genius move right here that it does freeze frame it it zooms in it slows it down because it's falsely setting your expectations on you know things scaring you that's my take i just had that okay. like epiphany i could right see now. that no, yeah. no, no! You're, hey, you could be a hundred percent right. Like I said, we're like we were talking about it. It's a very smart movie. It looks like it's well thought out. So this definitely could be that type of tactic to have that viewership to have that expectation. So yeah, you yeah. could be onto something for sure. But like you said, it pauses on it for a little bit, and then we fade to black. Mm-hmm. We cut back to the footage with the crew at the top of the stairs. They point out that there are some numbers on the wall and continue going down the stairs to the basement. They start breaking down the room of what it will have inside it during the haunted house. That there's going to be a girl on the wall. She's going to be tied up screaming. And on the other side, they'll have a bunch of clowns, as many as they can fit there. They're talking about maybe three or four. Then they say that there's a storm door at the very end where the tour goers will exit out of. Then they begin to talk about the walkie-talkies and how they are, getting some weird feedback and they need to fix it by that time. Paul then asks the group, what are all these books? Sarah says, this one's a Bible, and they all begin to see that there are several Bibles on the ground. That's when Sarah says that this room is very unsettling, and who would bring these down here? Yeah, she was saying what I was thinking, because everyone else was like, oh, look at this stuff, man. Isn't this cool? I'm like, "Uh, y'all ain't questioning this? This is really odd. Right. This is your first time going down there, and there's already creepy stuff there without you guys putting creepy stuff there. Mm -hmm. And one of them makes a good point. It's like, oh, it's a hotel. Every room has a Bible. And then she fires back. Yeah, but why would they bring them down here? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. She right. Sarah, you right. <laughs> and there is but, a moment where I think to myself, like, well, I mean, when I was like uh, a kid, I would break into abandoned houses and right. And I think what if some kids just came in here and they were like, I wouldn't it be funny if we drew pentagrams in the basement and put all the Bibles down there. Right. So right. 
there's also that. And I'm sure that's what the boys were thinking in this. I'm sure too. It like they say later on. Oh, I mean, it's about to happen right now. But yeah, <laughs> she mentions the walls, which have the pentagrams on them, and says it's very creepy. Then Paul mentioned that the place was closed for over 30 years. And Tony said that they were closed because the pipes burst and there was some type of lawsuit. But they emphasized 30 years. That's a long time. That's a very yeah. long time. Yeah. Um, and yeah, anyone could have gone in there. There's vandalism. There could be graffiti. There could be a lot of different stuff. So that makes a really good point that, yeah, they might not be too afraid of it because people are people and they will break into places, go into a basement, have Bibles and pentagrams there because that's what people would do sometimes. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, and then they say that we're building a haunted house and half the work is already done for them. And the wall is perfect. We cut back to the interview room with Diane and Sarah now. She asked Sarah, what was it like to live in the abandoned hotel? She responds, it took Tony and Paul about a week to get the electricity going through, and that's when they started staying over the night. She did express this only then when they were sleeping there. That's when things begin to, ha uh, to change. That's when Diane asked, change how? Then we cut back to the footage, and it's nighttime. We get a new date this time, which is September 8th, 30 days until opening night. I actually they like are... this countdown system. Oh, um, for sure, because it's for, it's a build-up. It's building it. up to the big night, the opening Exactly. Night. And for any gamers out there, if you ever play uh, The Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask, uh, that countdown, wow. it just yep. it builds anxiety, right? Because you know something bad is coming. Um, and and that's what I'm saying. This this movie does a really good job of like building up anxiety because it opens up with you knowing there was a, a tragedy that happened. I think it said about 15 people were killed. So, you know, something like that's going to come. And then you right. have this anxiety from the countdown. And then later on, it turns into dread because, you know, something's very wrong. Yeah, I, I love that. Where it's like it's it's a countdown where you're just like you're expecting something big to be at the end of this. But I love how this movie gives you sprinkles of goodness throughout these days, too. It's like, don't worry, we got some big stuff during this time, too, which I yeah, love. Yeah, I didn't that, expect it. It's not that every was, day you see it's just scary. It's just like it's just their lives during this month of prepping. And it makes it feel more grounded in that sense. Right. Uh, because if it was everything you saw from every day, which is scary stuff. Um, mm -hmm. I don't think it would have been executed as well, but because you have good days and bad days, uh, you it may be on your well toes. Together. Yeah. There's you may be on your toes also thinking like a bad thing is coming. I know it. And then nothing happens. You're like, Oh, okay. never mind. So I think it's, it's done well. Yeah. No, they have a really good balance between keeping stuff realistic. And then of course the paranormal activity that happens inside the hell house, which like you was like we were talking about it's like it keeps the movie grounded which is good because it makes the characters more realistic too uh, i started hating paul we'll talk about that later but really i didn't uh, ever man. hate paul i mean I, well, there was points where i did actually find him inappropriate or annoying ball. <laughs> i don't know man i actually didn't like uh i think it was alex and tony well alex is a dick too tony yeah. tony's all right mac it barely did anything bad he just hung around yeah, but I digress. I think it's Tony. <laughs> we'll talk. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about it. Okay. Uh, so they're all at the bar. They're all having drinks. They're all having fun, and they have electricity now. They're all making fun of like the Disney princesses that they were at a haunted house once, and that 
uh, I think it was Tony that was dressed as a werewolf last time, uh, that these princesses never got scared, but they actually laughed. And then they talked about how they did this haunted house in Queens and that they had someone who played Lucifer that had a very thick New York accent, which I think was hilarious. Um, <laughs> we then get this great speech that they will succeed and get numbers like they did in New York, that they will get word of mouth and are only 40, uh, 40 minutes away from New York. So they'll have a good crowd to come out. Uh, then uh, they cut to the camera and we are in front of a bunch of monitors now. Uh, they have a full setup surveillance of the entire place, and they're getting the feeds through those monitors. The only room that they don't have access to is the basement because it has thick stone walls. Then they come up with a solution that they will have some big guy, some big buff dude, in a clown outfit downstairs to help prevent anything bad to happen. They all congratulate Tony with the idea and have his hard work come to fruition and being able to accomplish everything. Then we cut to the next scene. We cut to them putting up a fake person hanging from a rope. They even make a small joke of Paul asking, how's it hanging, sweetheart? Yeah. I actually yes. did think that was funny. There are some moments of like uh, comedy in here that I actually appreciate because it's sprinkled and it's not forced. Right. Um, it's mostly I, Paul. <laughs> yeah, and I did I, I did make a mistake. I, uh, it was not... Tony that bothered me. I actually liked Tony and Paul. Um, but it was Alex and uh, was it Andrew or is it Drew? I thought it was Mac. I don't know. Anyways, the that guy. So, because um, I'm on IMDb, it says Andrew Mc, McNamira. Um, hmm. But he's like the guy that has really big ears and kind of short gingery hair. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I think maybe they uh, called him Mac in there. Probably. But his yeah. name was Andrew. We'll go with Mac. But yeah, um but yeah, the the comedy was great. I think uh Paul was really the funny guy, right? A lot of the times. Oh, for sure. He's the one that had like all of the puns and the, the quick little one-liners, which was yeah, yeah he was, was enjoyable. He, he was a good choice for a uh, camera person. Oh, for sure. Without a doubt. And his like confessionals were hella funny too. <laughs> yeah, which got creepy real quick. Yeah, but we'll we'll talk about it. I can't. Wait. Uh, he asked for help, and uh, so uh, the other guy is asking for help to put down the camera, and says that no, Genius Boy wants me to be documenting everything. It's like no, you just want to be lazy like always, which is pretty <laughs> funny because I feel like that's Paul's go-to. It's like I can't do anything. I'm filming. Yeah. Uh, but that's when we cut to Paul playing the piano with Hector, the fake corpse body that's on the piano set. Then we cut again to him in his bed doing an interview with himself that they are three weeks away from the big day and he's feeling very lonely. And I felt like, oh, this is definitely like the real world confessional type of uh, filming, which is really funny. Yeah. Or it's just like vlogging, you know? So I think this was uh, really well done because I, uh, at least for me, I didn't question why he was doing it. It just felt pretty real because, I mean, you think about it, they're staying there and they had to put in electricity themselves. They they don't have Wi-Fi. They probably just have their phones, if anything. But um, I think some of them even had flip phones because I think this was 09. So uh, two years after the iPhone came out, smartphones haven't really boomed yet. Right. It's like you're bored and you have a camera. What else are you going to do but talk to it? Exactly. <laughs> right. 
this is where I start not liking Paul, to be honest. Oh but, yeah, you're right. So I, he, he says I didn't like him so, either here. It's like okay, so three weeks into the big day, we're feeling very lonely. That Sarah is the only girl in the group, and Alex doesn't like sharing. And I was like, uh, I don't like that. It's like I it's think this gross. was a poor taste I have in the movie in my notes. And I'm like, okay, I'll just let it go. But while he is saying all this, we see a shadowy figure approach behind him. And I was like, that's a nice little touch. He continues yeah, to I say that it. he, oh yeah, it was so good. But he continues being a little slingsball. He continues to say that he had high <laughs> hopes for this trip and that he thought it was going to be more like Grand Sexual Station. Mm. <laughs> nice, dude. Uh, he then says the actors are coming tomorrow and hopes at least one of them is bonable. We see the figure in the back just standing there. And then he hears a floor, uh, the floor start to creak and turns around. That's when he gets startled and we see him ask if it's Sarah, but we get no response. Then we see the figure in the dark just turn around and leave the room. And I put in my notes, I don't think it's Sarah. LOL. <laughs> yeah, I mean, clearly not. But I like right, that. Different hair, um, different everything. I actually like this introduction of whatever this is um, because it's not loud or in your face and it doesn't right. do anything it walks in and it leaves and i think it's very realistic that paul just assumed it was sarah uh because i think it would have been really forced if he was like yo what the fuck is that right but because oh, you don't sure. think you don't think of like things of horror coming to fruition in reality until you have a suspicion on it uh, so yeah, I thought it was cool. I it, I was like, all right, this is this is where we're going. We're getting somewhere. I'm liking this, and it's not right, afraid it's a, to show itself. Exactly, it was a very powerful scene for sure. Because it's one of those things like that's super creepy to me of not being able to see what what it is, and you just see the silhouette of someone. Yeah, and literally, I was expecting something to happen, and when it just like turned around and walked out, I was like damn that that's something unexpected to think about it's like cool it just left it's weird it's scary yeah and that's the cool thing about it right it's uh it doesn't need to do anything now and also it the movie messes with us thinking like something's gonna happen but it just doesn't and it just nonchalantly paul just goes back to sleep and i have a theory that this is the mother of the 11 year old uh girl which we'll talk about later but i think that's the mother that disappeared Oh, I didn't yeah. even think about that. I digress because I had I had to think it's like okay, if this is a spirit, where did she come from? And I was like, oh, it's like, oh, well, they said that story. I was like, oh, that's probably her, but we'll see. Uh, we see him talk back to the camera, saying that was weird, and says, "See you tomorrow." We cut to the camera now, filming up the stairs and into a room where Sarah and Alex are, and it's daytime. We see that Sarah and Alex are in bed, and she's in her underwear. He gets caught filming them, and they both yell at him to get out. That's when he was. He says that he was there to help them out. I was like, God damn, Paul, man. He's a little sleazeball. Yeah, he's just definitely hella horny. <laughs> a, a little too much. Yeah. Uh, Alex smacks the camera, and we cut to some footage of outside, and it's raining. We see the crew downstairs outside with the actors that they're about to put um, into the haunted house. And Paul is continuing to film from upstairs. He zooms up on one of the actresses. 
and here on my nose, it's like, God damn, Paul, relax. Calm down. Uh, yeah. it, it is really creepy when he's doing it here. <laughs> oh, for sure. Uh, that's when we cut to an interview of someone saying that they got one piece of information off the police officers. That the first body that they found in the Hell House... Mem- oh, the first body they found was one of the Hell House members, but couldn't tell which one, but their throat was actually cut. And it was pretty sure it was self-inflicted. Super creepy. Yeah. Uh, we cut back to the footage of them having fun. Then they asked the interviewee, what do you think happened? Uh, and he said that he had no idea. Then he says that Joey Scheffler was in the basement and actually survived. And know what? And we all know how that ended, is what he said. That's when we cut back to Paul filming the actors and we pause on Joey outside, zoomed up. We get some overlaid text that reads, Authorities tried to talk to Joey Scheffler in the wake of the tragedy, but he refused to talk about what he saw in that hotel. Then we get a little title card with, Nine days later, he was found dead in his bedroom. He hanged himself. Dude, I was totally sus of him. I was like, I feel like... He had a part to do with something or did something wrong. And uh, I was very concerned. I don't know why I had that suspicion. Interesting. You thought he was part of it? Yeah, or I just, I don't know. Like something about him. I looked at him. I was like, I don't trust him. But <laughs> there's no merit yeah. to that. But that, what did you the think? The weird trick he does. It's really creepy. Oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> that was just mm, gross. I'll keep my eye out for that one. Oh, my God. <laughs> you guys will understand why. Okay, so we got to a new day of footage. It's now September 18th and 19 days until opening day. We see Paul filming in and crash an interview process of the girl actress he zoomed up on earlier. He makes some bad jokes about her taking her shirt off, and Paul is not the best at this point. I was like, I hate you, Paul. Get out of here. Yeah, he's really (laughs) sleazy. I get what you're saying now when he's sleazy. Like, yeah, here he's definitely sleazy with with the way he speaks to women. Oh, for sure. I mean, to each their own. Whatever. It's (laughs) trying to add comedic value to it. Um, Right. And, uh, you know... In this context, um, she's not offended by it. She seems, but yeah. who knows? She could be very much uncomfortable and just trying to like play it cool. Uh, but yeah, I, I think it's yeah. supposed to be directed as comedic relief. Oh, for sure. He's definitely the one that jokes around and maybe a little too much, but at the same time, that's who he is as a person. Yeah, it's great for like character development. I just didn't like the character he was. I, I feel that. Overall, the movie is still good. Uh, that's when she asks, why are they filming everything? And Alex says it's more for us to learn for what we can do for next haunt. And it's also for their fans what they can put on the website. That's when Paul says, oh, he's trying to catch a ghost. Which she responds, so you know about the rumors of this place. She shares that the owner is... Um, let me see here. The owner... I don't know why I put this in my notes. But he pretty much killed himself inside that hotel... And that after that, they were forced to shut down because a lot of stuff kept on happening to the guests. Or pretty much that happened first, and then he ended up killing himself afterwards. Uh, Paul pretty much kept on asking what happened, and Alex quickly dismisses everything that she's saying and pretty much tells him to go help Tony. Before he leaves, he tries to seduce the actress again, and Alex makes 
another attempt to make him leave, which actually works. Back with an interview, we hear that they will know they'll never know what happened in that hotel, just like they never know uh, what happened to the Hell House crew set up 20 years later. Just like that, we will never know what exactly happened to Andrew Tooley. Then we go through a series of interviews explaining to the team that never knew about Tooley or the missing guest that took place in that hotel and why he even built that place in the first place. That Tooley built the hotel because of the name of the town. In some verses of the Bible, Abaddon is the name of a demon who guards the gateway to hell. That some people believe that he was the head of a cult. They ask what happened to his guests, and they talk about an 11-year-old girl and their mother disappearing. But Tully was able to produce records that they left and hung himself soon after. That's when we cut to the police photo of the man being hung. Andy Tully, suicide, 1989. 20 when years I see... prior. Yeah, Sorry the, to interrupt. The photo. Yeah, yeah I was like, I don't know why. It was like, because it's, it's, it's weird when I watch horror movies i've seen you know people hung before but for some reason when it's captured in a photograph or it's depicted as realistic it was hard for me to look at i don't know why do you feel that way absolutely okay. um yeah it, it, it's one of those things where it's like it's it's weird because it's literally not moving at all and yeah it's creepy yeah, it could be a photo because a photo doesn't really show the entire story but at the same time the story says a thousand words right and it tells yeah. the story that this guy hung himself in. It looks very realistic. And we can't say otherwise because it's just a photo. Where a video, maybe we can debunk it. It's like, oh, that's not really good special effects. Oh, mm-hmm. you can see some wiring. Or It's harder to debunk a photo, I guess. Totally. But we cut to a new day, September 21st. Now we're only 16 days away from opening night. And the group is in the basement. They're all setting up the creepy uh, figures and clown dummies against the back wall. Paul makes a dumb comment about Melissa, the actress, about her being topless. Paul being my favorite guy again. Bringing that up. (laughs) Uh, Tony asks if he wants to wear the creepy mask that they have there and stare at her all night long. He shakes his head yes with the camera. And he says in response, it's never going to happen. We cut to the next scene. We see Paul starting a confessional again. And says he hears a strange sound. And he's going to go to investigate it. We see them all gather in the hallway. Tony says that the sound sounded like a scream. We see the crew stare down the stairs. And Tony said it might be the soundboard. Then we cut to Paul in the room with all of the wine and water leaking. Or the wine cellar with all the water leaking coming from it. He says a sly comment that Tony's going to have to deal with this one. Showing that he doesn't want to work and put all the work on Tony. Yeah. And again, this is like, Paul, man, you're my favorite character, man. You're the best. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we cut to the kitchen, and they say that sh- they should have a creepy chef guy in there to scare people. They are talking to their new hire, Joey, and how great of a clown he's going to be. Apparently, they found this guy just hanging out at a gas station. And I put here on my notes, not sketch at all. Maybe this probably yeah, gave you a little bit more suspicion. That. When they said that, yeah, it, it locked in my suspicion. I was like, okay, something's going to be up with this guy because that's just weird, man. How? Right. How? Because not only that, he's hired to watch over a, a girl tied up in 
almost nothing in a basement right. where they can't have a camera in. So I was like, this just seems like it's setting it up for something else. Um, but again, like the movies, I think very smart in intentionally doing that to you. Uh, I agree. Uh, yeah, it's setting him up to be like the creepy, weird guy that might be the one that's going to do something afterwards and maybe mm-hmm. even be like a killer or something. Yeah. But yeah, and it's weird. It's like they have the whole conversation. I was like, oh, I just found out the gas station. He's like, oh, did he work there? I don't know. Uh, was he getting <laughs> yeah. gas? I don't know. I just picked him up. It's like, yeah, they were like, okay. he was just there. And I'm like, that is like, so weird. This is how you get talent. Nice. I mean, because you got, then, you have to imagine, right? They they were gonna they went up to this random dude, like, hey man, you look pretty big. Um, we we need someone for this job. There's this basement that we can't have cameras in, and we're gonna have a girl tied up for a haunted house. She's gonna be like wearing nothing, and we need someone to watch her so no one you know puts their hands on her. Can you do that? Such a big red flag. <laughs> yeah, man. And then he does this really creepy trick where he can pop his eye out. Yeah, it's creepy. I don't like that. They even make a joke that like Joey did the trick again, and he they have a fake eye and hit the guy's hand. It's like, yeah. oh no, he did it again, but it popped out this time. It's like okay, uh, but that's when we see Paul continuing to film around the house. We see a bunch of the undead girl dummies in the dining room, and he says that room has a bunch of babes. Then he goes to the bathroom and says this room is shitty. With the bathroom being covered in fake shit and the guts hanging out around the place. Uh, <laughs> then he goes to another dummy and asks, how's it hanging? Which is another <laughs> dummy that's hanging out, being hung from the ceiling. And then we go back to our nice dummy, Hector, playing on the piano. Then he runs into Mac, which is ch- who is just chilling on the couch, saying that Alex and Sarah went into town. Then asks about Tony, and Mac says he should be around. Then we see Paul continuing to go through the haunted house, and we see some awesome gory stuff in there. They're really, it looks like they're about to open up now. They're they're putting a lot of work into the place, and we can tell that now. Yeah, it's evolved a lot from when they first right. got there. For sure. And they're only two weeks away at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, he continues to do his jokes as he walks by the stuff and calls out for Tony. We see someone dressed as the clown at the very end uh, with the scary mask that we saw downstairs. He says, what's up with it? Uh, what's up to it? And asks, what are you staring at? Facing directly at the stairs to the basement. The camera pans to the, uh, to the right, looking down at the stairs and then back to the clown. But it's now facing Paul. Freddie, right gets, here. Yeah. Right here, man. This is when I went, Ooh-hoo-hoo. I was like, I, I had my first smile from this movie. Um, sure, I laughed at some jokes earlier, but it was more so of a ha ha ha. Like, I wasn't really like, smiling from it but this i was like right. "Ooh, i like what they're doing here because i said this in the opening of the episode right i think it's there's something so elegant in getting someone scared when you look away from something and you look back at it and it moved and it's something that's not supposed to move even if it's a subtle movement because you start questioning yourself right you question is it always has it always been like that am i tripping balls right now like what's going on and um uh, that just suspicion of just wondering what just happened. I think that is so cool. And it got me excited immediately at that moment. It got me excited for the rest of the movie. Like I was like, I'm ready for this movie. I'm in it. 
Oh, for sure. This is a very, very strong scene. This scene yeah. really scared me too, because just seeing there at the end of the hallway, right above like the basement stairs, you're like looking at this clown and just standing straight up, and you're like, "Uh, uh-uh, uh, I know that's not yeah. uh, who's missing, Tony. I know that's not Tony. <laughs> I don't believe it." And they really set it up really well too, because they talk about that mask and that dummy saying like, "Oh, you can't really turn its head. It's not possible." And oh, then yeah, it does that's a really that good thing point. Where it's not possible, it turned its head. That's You're just a, like, such a good point. Oh, because no. Because I think about that in other scenes that we see this clown, but I didn't think about that in that moment because it was so uh, unexpected. But you're totally right because they really do set up that you're like, yeah, what a waste of a mass, um, uh, such a good mass on a thing that can't move its head. And you're totally right. right. It just straight up does it. It does it anyways. I was like, damn, when I saw that move, I was like, huh. I, I like I got happy too because I get happy when I get spooked because yeah, it doesn't too. happen too often now. But <laughs> just like me, Paul gets spooked uh, and says, "All right, weirdo," and walks away thinking it's Tony. Mm-hmm. Then, as he walks away, he says, "Let me know when you want to get back to work down there." He starts to head back where he came from. He gets back where Mac is on the couch, but then sees Tony there with him. Paul is super confused at this point. He's like, what the fuck are you doing here? He screams at him. It's like, what the hell? You were, he was like super crazy about it. He runs the- back to the end of the hall and sees whoever was there is now gone. Yes. And I thought this was just, it ended on an even stronger note, right? Because I think Paul's right. reaction was so justified and it was cool to see because as viewers, we already have a suspicion that like, oh, that's that's not somebody, right? Something's up. Um, and it's satisfying to see him freak out like that and even more satisfying to go back and it's gone because you're like, oh, yes. Now whatever is here is strongly trying to mess with them. Oh, for sure. And it's one of those things when they look back at the footage like, no, you, you be scared of that, please. Yeah. <laughs> but he says, what the fuck? And starts going downstairs. I don't know about you, but I I got so scared at this point. I was like, he runs down and there's and he sees the dummies on the ground with that same mask and taps on it and sees that it's just a mannequin. He runs back upstairs and meets Tony and Mac and asks, what are you fucking with me? Yeah. What are you doing? What the fuck was that? We cut to the whole group and they are sitting around the, in front of a TV replaying the footage. They see the footage and they are shocked. Then they ask if it was Paul. And he said it wasn't. Then they all start to like not believe it and just write it off. And then we cut to a different day. Man. What a group. Come on. Uh, but yeah, it's a it different was... day. They're outside and they're trying to fill a commercial for their haunted house. Then we begin to see Sarah staring at a Virgin Mary statue. And everyone is wondering what she's doing. Paul asks what she's doing, and she just walks away. We then cut to them putting up the sign, which is really cool and creepy, Hell House. Then we open to a different day, September 26, 11 days away from opening day. And then I put here, we get the camera to do a POV shot of Paul. Uh, He's pretty much wearing the camera on top of his head, and he gets ready to do a run-through of the haunted house. 
They say, cue the lights, and it goes dark. Strobers, cue next. He says that they are in business. Then he asks, how many freaks do we are supposed to have in this hallway? The answer is three. And I put here, like, the lighting is very cool at this point. The strobes are going off. But we do see that there's definitely extra figures there. Mm-hmm. That's when Paul begins to freak out and wants out. He tries for the door, but it doesn't budge. He calls out for Tony, but nothing. He finally makes it through and jumps over the bar and then pukes. Then we get <laughs> clips from the recording and pause on many figures we saw earlier. And it's super creepy. And then we fade to black. So I that think I think that scene was such a great follow up because after the scene where the clown is kind of, you know, messing with Paul, I wanted more immediately. And I think this followed up very well because now we're on our toes. Now we know something is up in the house and um, that we're expecting it. Right. We're ready for the next scare. What I think is so intelligently done is that um, we're messed with our visual senses. We have the strobing light. And we're questioning if we're seeing something, but it's happening so fast that we can't confirm. Um, so it's great because it's it's getting exciting at this point, right? You're like, ooh, things are happening. Also, they whatever is here is intentionally messing with them. It's so cool because this thing is like, I'm here, I'm not, I'm here, I'm not. And it's... It's just fun. It's a fun ride. And it kind of feels like that feeling of being in a haunted house um, mm. where you it's so dark or it's the lights are strobing. There's a lot going on. You just don't really know what's around the corner and you really question it. So I think it's translating very well. Oh, for sure. I completely agree. And like you said, it's a nice scene to follow up with what happened yeah. previously because it keeps the momentum keep going. And you feel for Paul because I feel like Paul's the only one that's like getting the short end of the stick in all of this paranormal activity. It's like poor Paul. He, that's what literally drives him crazy. But yeah. Uh, another day goes by and they're all arguing at this point. Alex wants him to calm down and that there's nothing wrong and doesn't want to scare the actors. We go back to the author talking about Alex uh, was his own worst enemy and the others would just follow his lead, that there was a real bond between the group. We cut to Paul waking up and grabbing the camera. He heads to the hallway and looks down the stairs, and then we see the clown with the scary mask on. (laughs) He turns around and we see that Tony is awake too. He asks if he moved it there, and Paul says he was sleeping. Super nervous, Tony starts to go towards it, as Paul says to be careful. He gets right in front of it, and then taps it on the head and realizes it's just indeed a mannequin. Tony Dude, says that it. he will put it back. It's super I love, creepy. I love that they tap its head, right? Because you're questioning, at least for me, right? When I say that this is what I'm experiencing, I'm questioning if there's, if this is something now. Is it? Is it cognizant? But, you know, he taps its head and it's like, yep, nothing. It's, who put this here? And I love that. It's like a switch. It just, again, I keep saying it, but they're just messing with them at this point. And it's it's just fun Oh, for sure. It, it's just creepy that you, like, you go down the hallway, you're upstairs, you look down the stairs, you just see this clown with that mask on. I, I would not even get close to it. I'd be like, I'll <laughs> yeah. throw something at it. If it knocks over, cool. 
that's awesome. But I'm not gonna get right in front of it and like tap its head. Because I, you know what? I think I would just because they're the ones that no. have set these things up in the house, right? Because think about it. Think about if you, if you had Halloween decorations and someone moved it to prank you, you'd probably go and tap it. At least I would, because I would tell myself. But at the same this time, is just, you saw it move its head. That's a very good point. Yeah, we do have to remember that. It. This, I would this throw like a water bottle or some shit. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Too point. scary. And I even put here I, in my notes, literally it says super creepy part, not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is. Um, I, I love it. This this clown has become my favorite character in the movie. Nah, I hate clowns because of this movie now. Not even and, before this movie. This movie made me hate clowns. <laughs> really? Yeah, because um, I mean, like this is around the time too where that uh, that fad was going around where people would dress up as clowns and just like be in people's neighborhoods staring at them down and all that oh for sure yeah without a doubt it's super no hell no too creepy (laughs) that's when we see sarah in the next room and she's just staring at the wall and not responding to him she's mumbling and tony touches her and she wakes up in a panic hugs her to try to comfort her but she's still very panicky when paul turns around we see that the mannequin has disappeared again and yes. Tony says, what the fuck? And I put here I in my notes, it. I felt that. I hella <laughs> felt that when he said that. Yeah, me too, that's me too. literally me. Uh, but I'm getting Paul, at this point, man. I have like a huge smile on my face because I'm like, I love how on edge this is making me. Right. This, this, Yeah, same. I think we had the same feelings during this movie because when I get spooked, I get happy. And yeah, me too. I movie, get excited. Like, I'm glad I was taking notes and doing this breakdown. Because it gave me little pauses and breaks between the scariness. And I was like, cool. I don't know if I could handle this watching the elder three without <laughs> pausing. But <laughs> you got me, movie. It uh, reminds Paul's... me why we got in this business. Exactly. The <laughs> uh, Paul says fuck several times and tries to look for it. We see them go through the dining room and see that there's nothing there. Paul asks if they're okay, and we see Sarah get scared by the grandfather clock ringing. And that's when we see the mannequin again at the corner of the room holding something that looks like a candle. I couldn't make it out, but it looked like it was holding something. They all begin to start running upstairs, and that's when we cut to black, and the new scene begins. What a powerful scene. Pretty solid. Now it's daytime, and we see Alex holding Sarah. Now, uh, and pretty much it's just him comforting her. And then we get a quick cut, and it's nighttime, and we have another confessional by Paul, seeing that there are only three days until opening now, that everyone is stressed. He thinks that they may have no business being here, that they shouldn't be at the hotel in general. Then he says that Sarah doesn't look good, and she usually does. And I was like, God damn, Paul. <laughs> I, I, didn't, I didn't think i caught that one but when you said it uh just like that i'm like oh what a sleazeball literally he's like ah sarah doesn't look good and she usually does <laughs> when because like, oh that's so funny i didn't take it that way when i heard it uh, it was more so like oh usually when we get close to opening night like she's pretty like pretty calm or like about it but that's no, funny that you say it that way <laughs> that's so funny uh, he says that it's all from me. Uh, 
she pretty much like signs off to the camera. It's like, that's all for me. And sweeps, uh, sleep sweet. And then we cut to black. Uh, I hate this scene. But that's why I love this scene. My favorite part uh, of the movie. For sure. Without a doubt. Mine too. Uh, we're back on and he wakes up and turns on the lights. That's when we see in the corner of his room is a lady laying, uh, laying down on the floor. Still she's hasn't noticed down, right? her. Like, yeah, she's back like against the wall. Yeah, it's like sat up on the ground uh, against the wall. That's uh, and he doesn't notice her, but he picks up the camera and turns and screams, "Holy fuck!" Finally <laughs> seeing her. That's when I don't know. This is the best thing to do. He hides inside his bed sheets. <laughs> I love it, but Man. it creates this perfect opportunity right as we'll oh, begin sure. to speak about um what do you do when you hide under your blankets i mean i really never have but like i would imagine you go and peek right and every time he peeks a subtle movement change has occurred and that's right. what this movie is all about it's just those questioning movements um but it's done so well i mean he opens his sheet to look over she is now from looking across the room, looking directly at him, still frozen in place. He covers himself again. And he's like, oh, crap, oh, crap, oh, crap. And then lifts the sheet up one more time. And then she's slightly moving towards him and even faster covers himself. Oh, and I, at that point, I literally was like, <laughs> I was I was next to Bella as she was uh, drawing something on her iPad. And I screamed and I jumped and I started shaking her out. She's like, oh, my God. <laughs> so I scared her. Uh, it was That's great. hilarious. I was, like, I was like, I'm sorry. I got scared. Um, but it was it was. Yeah, she's Great. creepy looking. Super Dude, creepy yeah. looking. The thing is, like, she's bloody. Her eyes are a little messed up, and it's so right. subtle, but it's enough. But essentially, yeah, like we were saying, it it works so well because the camera is underneath the bed sheets with him, and little by little, we get those movements, and it's it's ah, uh, but my favorite part of the under- movie, dude. Easily mine too. I mean, it's my favorite part of the movie because it got me. As scared as I got in this movie. Yep. yep. It was that pinnacle point. Uh, he kept on saying, what the fuck is that? Uh, and <laughs> then I put here, we get some awesome, super scary transition shots of him sneaking the camera out of the bed sheets to see what is going on. And yes, there is something going on. Fuck yeah, there is. <laughs> uh, super creepy woman with blood on her face with her eyes popping out is super scary he says, holy shit, as she begins to get up and goes under the covers again. We uh, see nothing but sheets at this point for a bit and just hear him gasping. The gasping slows down and it's silence. Then he pulls the sheets one more time. And that's when we see her face right up close appear. And we hear slight screams, but get static interruptions on the footage. That's when we cut to Tony picking up the camera now, asking where the hell... Paul is. He leaves the room and heads downstairs. We then cut to him and Alex having a conversation the next day that he would have that he wouldn't have left two days before the show. Now and now us as the audience we know that he's missing. Uh, this is when Alex says that he's done it before four years ago and he probably did it again where he just went off and disappeared. They try to give him a call, and it seems like he answers the phone. Then a loud pitched scream comes through the receiver, and they drop it. 
Tony says, fuck? Then asks Alex what the hell that was, and he just walks away saying, I don't know. Then we cut to night, and we see them all awake hearing some piano music. They, they all tell Alex to stay with Sarah while Mac and Tony go, goes and investigates. They think it might be Paul. They go downstairs. They go through the kitchen, and Tony asks Mac to slow down and says, it's all right. It's just Paul fucking with us again. When the camera turns, or yeah, when the camera turns, there's someone standing towards the back. They don't notice. They finally make it to the room and rush to see if there's someone there playing the piano, but it's just Hector on there on the seat. They look around some more, and then keys begin to play as they turn around and still no one there. That's when they While begin to hear some. Sorry, was that? Yeah, while they're in the room, they just look away. I I wanted to Uh, add on that because it's literally, they're two feet away from the the piano and (laughs) whatever is playing the piano is just fucking with them hardcore. Like, and it's just so fun. I am, at this point, I'm head over heels with this movie. I am enjoying it. Nice. I'm just having so much fun. I like that. It's a solid moment because, like you said, they're literally two feet away and they're not staring at it. They play some notes. They literally flip around. Seconds have passed and there's nothing there. Yeah. Oh, so good. Uh, that's when they begin to hear some low thumping and yelling. Mac is asking for Paul. Um, and while that's happening, Tony's just freaking out at this point. They go room to room trying to find him. They head towards the basement. They go down there and call out to Paul. We see the three cl- uh, three clowns on the ground at this point. They continue searching and come to see a bunch of old school stuff. And then they go to like uh, a refrigerator unit is what I'm calling it. I don't know what that is. Yeah. yeah. I think like, that's safe to say. Yeah. Uh, Tony asks Mac to go check it out and he opens it, but there's nothing inside. When Tony turns around, he sees the clown heads are to- uh, turned towards him, and he <sighs> jumps into that compartment with him. Oh, my goodness. Dude, Love Freddy, that. what did and you like think? I, and like we said, the heads are not supposed to move. No, they're it's not. Crazy. And all three of them looking directly at him. Oh, like they they want them to know that they're looking, and that's the creepiest part about it all. Oh, for sure. And you can tell, like, everything's escalating at this point. It's getting, like, more and more crazy. It is affecting other people than just Paul. Well, poor yeah. Paul. Yep. He's missing right now. Poor Paul. Uh, Tony asked what happened and told him they fucking moved. Mac <laughs> asked if he believes in ghosts, and Tony says yes. And he's like, I don't. So they're going to leave <laughs> that place in the count of three. And he says, you're fucking crazy. On the count of three, they exit, and they see the clown's heads are back to normal, and Tony says, fuck. He repeats that, and he's like, they fucking moved, I swear, and Max says, I believe you, and it's just Paul fucking with us. As soon as he says that, we see Paul on the ground against the wall, passed out. They're finally able to get Paul to be awake, but he seems very out of it. Now, the group is all down downstairs, and they're having a meeting to call off possibly the haunted house. They explained that the clown heads don't turn, and they did. That Paul hasn't said anything since they found him. They begin to argue about it. Tony says that he's quitting, he's pissed, and he storms off. <laughs> That's when Mac goes after him and talks to him. 
we get some footage interruption and see Sarah for a quick second, and then the video of him, of Tony again, sitting out on some fields. He says he wished he knew sooner and that Alex screwed them over. He asked if anyone else knew, and Max said, it was just us two. He says that that he pretty much has to stay now. And then Max uh, says sorry, but he says that you shouldn't be the one apologizing. Back with the interviewee, we see Diane asking Sarah if there was anything technically wrong. She said no, and everything was ready to go. Then she asked about Alex and if he was okay. She said yeah, that he was the same as always and had everything in control. She then asks why did she not leave? Then she says that Alex was going to lose the house. What was she was what was she supposed to do at that point? Uh, and pretty much here is the point for the viewer to understand they were losing money or they were not financially stable and they were going to lose their house and stuff like that. And that's why this had to work out. So uh, I actually missed that part. And I'm glad that you uh, emphasize on that because I was going to ask you, like, what was it that uh, brought um, the other dude back? Because after getting so mad at Alex and I, I don't know how, but I missed that. So I'm, it makes sense now. Right. You're saying like, okay, we have to be there for him essentially. Uh, if you're staying, I'm staying. And then that's pretty much why she never left too, because Alex yeah. was going to lose the house. So this was all to make money essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we cut to the girl that did the YouTube video and talked about her experience about the whole thing. Then we cut back to the team about them getting ready and they have like a little powwow. This is when Melissa asks about Paul and Alex just says, oh, he's just feeling under the weather. Uh, then he comes up with like this weird speech that doesn't really come super confident that let's scare some people tonight and it will be great. Uh, then he asks them to get ready as the meeting ends. Alex then apologizes to Tony. He says he can't run this without him. Then we cut to Tony talking to Paul, trying to make, uh, wake him up, but nothing. We transition to Alex outside in front of the Hell House sign. October 8th, opening night. Then Here we, we pan to a crowd, and it's a super long line. They're in for a treat. <laughs> for a treats. trick. <laughs> We're on the same page. <laughs> uh, we then... Let me see... Okay, we don't, then we cut to them in the basement and we see that Melissa's in position and Joey as well. She asks if everything is fine and he says yes. That's like, oh, if everything is not fine, you would tell me, right? And Alex just agrees <laughs> like, absolutely, I would tell you. Then he begins to cut her dress to make it a little bit more appealing and heads out. They go to their little control center and announce that the, the show will begin in 10 minutes. They ask about Paul, and they say that he's still sleeping. And he said it was very weird when Alex said it's kind of annoying. It's like, Alex, you're a dick. <laughs> yeah. That's, he's a, yeah. he's very self-centered, yeah. but, I mean, we see why now, right? Oh, for sure. Easily. Uh, they begin to get feedback on the walkies, and it's not working properly. Then we get a POV GoPro shot of Mac having it over his head, going into the crowd as they announce the opening. And everyone is super happy and cheering and getting ready to go inside. He heads back inside and begins to hide within the walls. And then the guests start to come in. 
we start seeing all of the original YouTube video footage for a bit and then back inside with the guests coming through. They say that they want people in and out. We see the YouTube video again, getting closer to where something is about to go down. And I just point here in my notes, this gives us a really good concept of time, being able to see the YouTube video prior to when shit hits the fan. Yep, so I was like, exactly. that's a really good tactic. Uh, we see Mac behind the wall filming, and Sarah comes in with him and says that she thinks she saw Paul. He asks where, and she just says, he just stared at me. That's when we see Joey, the guy dressed as the clown, run past them, as we saw in the YouTube video. He radios Alex to say that he saw Joey run out of the basement and ask what's going on. That's when we cut to Alex and Tony seeing Joey also leave through the monitors, and Alex says, where the hell is this? Where is he going? Son of a bitch. <laughs> I was like, Alex is <laughs> such a dick. Just yeah. wants his money. Uh, back with Mac, we start to hear something, and Sarah asks, did you hear that? That's when Mac tells her to go upstairs as she runs out of the hiding spot, and we transition back to the YouTube video that showed Sarah running up the stairs. I was like, this is really good back and forth footage, which I like. Uh, Matt continues to try and reach out, but Alex hears nothing. He says he has eyes. Uh, if he has no eyes on the basement, and something is up. Then we cut to some footage titled "Recovered Tour Goer Tape Moments Earlier." We hear Melissa say, "You have the key, Joey. Get me the hell out of here." She sees the tour goers come into the room and says, please help me. This is not part of the show. Then we just see Joey bolt out of the basement. She asks Joey not to leave her and not to leave her behind. Dude, we so messed a, up. It, it's crazy because yeah. I, I would love to know what happened prior to the footage, like seconds before that. I do too. So badly, dude. And I feel so bad that no one helped her. They just all right. just like, Everyone was like, everyone for themselves, like, I'm out of here, right? And it just would have taken, like, a couple seconds. Oh, for sure. Without a doubt. It's one of those things. For, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, we get a shot of her, and she's completely freaking out. They ask her if she's okay, and she says no, that she <laughs> needs help, and this is not part of the show. The guests start to look panicked and look for a place to get out, and they can't seem to find a way out. That's when we get a ton of static footage, and then we see a figure go up to Melissa, and everyone begins to panic and scream. We get a quick glimpse of a demonic figure on the camera, and now we cut back to the YouTube video. How'd you feel about seeing like the reveal of like that face? Um, so the face itself was a little cheesy to me. Um, a little bit. And this is for production it... value. Yeah, and I think it would have been better if it was more ambiguous, like everything else in the movie had been. Um, Okay. From this point onward, I did see um, a lot of cheese just because of the budget, Um, but I still think it got the job done. I agree. I completely agree. Like, it did not scare me. I would say, like, the (laughs) creepy lady scared me a lot more than this face, without a doubt. Uh, But we see Mac trying to help and get everyone out, and then the door closes on him. He turns around, looking at the rest of the guests inside, saying that there's another way out. 
We then see Tony and Mac uh, rush towards the basement to see what's going on. That's where we get a lot of shaky camera, which is fine for this scene because we see some scary images as it goes through room to room. We hear Melissa screaming and we see them trying to reach for the door and then something demonic closes it before they can get in. That's when we start heading back upstairs and we see Sarah there. They tell her to go up all the way. They reach the attic and she begins to freak out and we see why. We see that Alex is on the other side of the attic and he's hung. So sad. That's when, and then we oh, we were, uh, there was foreshadowing in the beginning of the movie when they actually pointed out the chain hanging from the ceiling. And I did have a moment in the beginning where I'm like, I'm sure that's going to become important later on. Yeah. Like, like we, we talked about it. I feel like this movie is planned out very well. Mm-hmm. And they give us a lot of either dialogue or exposition to actually tell the story later on and stuff like that, which is good. Not bad at all. Uh, But they try to help him. That's when he tries to go and help and save him. But the camera turns around and we see several hooded figures around the attic and attack him. The camera falls to the ground and we get a good shot of the shadow and body still on the rope. We begin to hear Sarah screaming. Then sirens surround them, and we cut to uh, Black, or no, not to Black. We cut back to the interview. Sarah said she came straight downstairs to the front door and met the police. She said that she was happy to be alive. Diane asks if anything happened between the attic and the front door, and she says no. Diane is surprised that this has been kept a secret for so long. She asks if she can go to her room to take a break for a couple hours and meet her there later. Diane says, of course, and said thank you. We then see the camera be put down on the table, but we still hear the conversation continue. Diane, uh, we hear her tell Diane, you know you should really try and get inside that house if you can see what's inside. She says, Mm. thanks, but everything is boarded up. She then replies, is that the only thing holding you back? You should really try and see it. Then she responds, maybe. And then we fade to black real quick. And then we have a conversation with her crew and her about Very breaking quickly, into the Freddy. place. Yeah. I want to ask absolutely. you, did you have any suspicions when you heard Sarah saying all that? Did you have any theories? I think so. Yeah. I was like, oh, this girl is definitely baiting them to come inside this place. But did you think, because I straight up was like, dude, she's a ghost. She's not really here, right? Oh, damn. Okay. Yeah, because I didn't think that far in, but yeah, I definitely thought I think something happened between uh, the attic and the front door for sure. Ah, uh, because I, I took it as like this, whatever happened in the house, her spirit, her soul is now trapped and belong to the house and those entities in there. And with that, it can use it as it wishes. And it's using it to send, it, send her, her spirit out to you know, uh, like you said, bring people back in. Interesting. I like that. And that could very much be the case. Very interesting. Huh? But, uh, pretty much her group decides that they will go for just an hour. Uh, she goes to the front desk and tells the worker there that she will be gone for about an hour. And if her guests or interviewee, Sarah asks where they are, um, that, She's staying in room 2C and that they will be back soon. But that's when the person at the front desk says that they have no letters in their rooms. 
She then asks what room is she staying in, and then she sees that there's no one under that name there. They just leave regardless Ooh. and take that as a grain of salt. But yeah, very sus. Then we get Definitely. the title card. Mitchell stays behind to catalog the footage. What he sees after Diane left is unexplainable. We cut to a camera on the floor and hear distant screams. We see that it's Sarah with the camera the night of the incident. She walks through the house and heads towards the exit. She sees Paul and gives him a hug. He stands there, lifeless, and then moves away from her and grabs the camera. That's when he knocks her down and proceeds to kill Sarah by kicking her repeatedly, and we even see blood splatter onto his face. The camera footage goes statically. He's trying to hurt her because we see that she's still breathing very much after we get the camera back on her. Right. So he attacks her, and then we uh, we get back to the footage of a bloody Sarah on the ground gasping for life. We start to hear something getting close and growling and see her getting dragged away. That's when we see Paul just standing there for a very long time. He picks up the broken plate that we saw from earlier and slices his own throat. Mm -hmm. He slowly dies in front of us. That's when we hear knocking and we cut. Damn. And now we know the body they found first, which was his. Exactly. And it, I, I like I like that this movie wraps up and answers all the questions it proposed because I'm sure some people were watching and thinking, what was the uh, body that they found that was self-inflicted by uh, slashing a throat? And, you know, up to the very end, it's like, we're going to hit every question that you had and answer it. Right. And the thing is, like, this movie is not a very long movie, but the pacing is so good that we get delivered so much information prior and it delivers like a good wrap up at the end, which is Definitely. really rare. But And that's what awesome. I spoke on earlier where I said it does start off very slowly, but that foundation is so necessary. Right. It gives us the context clues and then we figure out the puzzle pieces afterwards, which is yep. great. Uh, we cut back with Diane and her crew. They manage to go inside the hotel. They start going through the entire hotel, going room to room. Diane sounds like super excited. She's going to every room. It's like, oh, this is the kitchen. This is the basement. Um, she's she's over her head on this. They finally make it to the basement, and her camera guy starts to freak out and says they don't. They're not going down there. No, hell no. I agree with this guy. Yeah, totally. Uh, they do a really good job at showing the old footage mixed in with this part of the movie as well, so we can have some context of what happened in those specific rooms. She gets a call from Mitchell, but she just ignores it and she's because she's too excited. They find the stairs and says that they have to go up. They go up and notice all the security cameras as well. That's when they get to a door that has 2C on it. She opens it, and we see Sarah there sitting on the bed. (laughs) Diane goes up to her and asks if she's okay. She turns around and looks at them and has blood all over her face and smiles. They turn around, and the door closes behind them, and we get this weird hooded figure by her that rushes them. That's when we hear screams, and the footage goes statically. We cut to the camera on the floor and we hear the piano playing and the footage clicks off. 
Then we see a picture of the Hell House crew with the words, To this day, the tragedy of the Abaddon House or Hotel remains a mystery to the public. We fade to black and credits. Wow. To take words from the head knight prince himself, I absolutely adored this movie. <laughs> uh, it was such a ride, man. I like it. I like it a lot. Um, I think this would be so fun to watch. I mean, I think it's perfect for Halloween. I'm glad that we're doing this movie for this month. Um, but I think it'd be so fun. You know, it might not be possible with Halloween 2020 because everyone needs to stay indoors because of the pandemic. But I think it'd be so cool if maybe in a future Halloween where we're allowed to go out again. Um, the idea of having a uh, October night plan with a group of friends and involving the plans of um, watching this movie with plans to go out to a haunted house afterwards, right? Wouldn't that oh, be so God. cool? Because I yeah. found myself looking around my shoulder after I watched this movie uh, because I watched it right before we recorded. Um, and, you know, that's it. I ended this movie around uh, 9 p.m. Um, and I... I was just at Bella's place and I was looking around my shoulder, feeling a little creeped out. And I could only imagine like watching this and then going straight to an actual haunted house. If, uh, if anyone does that, cause I know like in different countries that, you know, um, the rules are different as far as like the pandemic. So this year or next year or whenever someone is listening to this and they think back on this episode, if you did that, hit me up on Twitter at David Celery, like the vegetable, and tell me what that was like because I would love to <laughs> yeah. do that. That's definitely, yeah, that's such a, uh, I can't even think about that. That's a spooky, spooky idea of watching this movie and then going straight into a haunted house. I don't right? know if I could. I would well, love to do that. Well, I don't think I'm allowed inside haunted houses. <laughs> Oh, so, oh, what? I have a, a reflex. When something pops out at me, I punch it. So <laughs> That's so funny. Bella does the same America. thing. Uh, oh, my God. Yeah, it's a thing. Yeah, I mean, it's a good reflex to have. If someone jumps out on you, you punch them. That's a good reflex, I think. <laughs> oh, my goodness. It's not the best for haunted houses. <laughs> uh, but that, that sounds like a great idea. That sounds like it gets you in the spoopy mood to just watch it enjoy it you're having a thrill ride with that movie and then you're just having a thrill life uh thrill ride in real life going through a haunted house because yeah. yeah that sounds wild man I, I adore this movie this is a lot of fun i had a lot of fun watching it like i said i probably haven't been this scared in a while which put a smile <laughs> to my face so same here man definitely a great movie to watch during the spoopy season um especially yeah it's 2020. This is streaming on uh, a streaming service called Tubi. Not too familiar with it, but it's free to watch. So I watched it on Shudder. So if oh, you have a Shudder subscription. Oh, yeah. Please get Shudder. Shudder has so many great movies on there. Please watch. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I love this movie. But I got some movie facts for you for this. Movie facts? And there's not a whole lot. Being a small budget movie, I didn't assume there was going to be a whole lot. So I'll probably read the majority of them of them all. Uh, after one of the scenes with Paul running out of the strobe light room and throws up, that was real. And it was oh. not scripted. Oh. The actor actually threw up on real life in camera. 
Oh my goodness. Does it say why? No. I'm guessing maybe it was just strobe lights. Or maybe he actually got spooked. I don't know. Jeez Louise. Mm-hmm. Uh, the film was shot at a real haunted house attraction in Layton, Pennsylvania, called The Haunting of Waldorf Hotel. This haunt did take over an abandoned hotel, just like the movie did. Creepy. That's pretty cool. And it looked good. It looked like a real solid haunted house. So Yeah, totally. Not bad. Uh, in the scene involving the clown, lead actors Danny and Jared were the ones wearing the clown costume and mask because the mannequin that the clown mask was normally on wouldn't be able to stand up as a person would be standing still. <laughs> so there I was a real that. person behind the mask. Yeah, which I, I think is should have been done because it just, I don't know, it, it gives that that facade some ground to it. Oh, for sure. Without a doubt. It, it gives it like the more realistic look of being a person too. Uh, yeah. The eye trick Joey does in the movies and the actual eye trick he can do. Ugh. I, <laughs> no. Yeah, it kind of creeped me out. It's not really a fun fact for me. <laughs> movie fact, for sure. Uh, producer Joe is uncredited in the movie, but he plays Diane's camera guy throughout the film and interviews the final sequence. Oh, he should cool. be credited. Right? Eh, he's a producer. He's credited through that. That's true. But talking on that subject, writer slash director Stephen Cognetti is uncredited in this movie as well, but he plays the camera guy with the tour group in the ma- uh, the main sequence of the film. So he's the camera guy in the YouTube video. Oh, damn. Huh. Well, I, I feel like sometimes producers and directors kind of put themselves in the movie if they have a low-budget film and can't really yeah. get actors yeah. for it. So that makes sense. At the beginning of the film, in the 911 call, you hear a woman frantically calling the police and say uh, a bunch of different things and also talking about they're into the wall. If you listen real closely, you can tell that she's saying they're pulling us into the wall, which hints that Andrew Tooley's portal to hell actually came to fruition. Explains oh. the creepy outlines of the faces and hands that are seen inside the wall, while the crew is trying to get out of the house near the end of the movie, which I did not notice. Oh, damn! That makes a lot of sense. Damn! So the hell gates have been opened. Damn. Uh, when being interviewed by Diane at the beginning of the mo- uh, beginning and getting questioned about where she was and disappeared for fifteen days. Sarah just says that she's in a better place now, which generally mm-hmm. means that this term is used when people pass away, that she really yep. is dead. They so when she that. was saying that she's in a better place now, she was saying that she was pretty much dead. Yeah, I totally thought that too. I'm glad that's in the facts. I love that. So good. That means the script was well written too. Yep. Um, so the phone call from Mitchell that Diane decides to end instead of actually answer, was most likely a warning for her to get out of the house, mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. continued to have her demise at the very end of the movie. Yeah, I totally thought, like, if you just answered that call, what would have happened? good. Yeah. Man. But David, any final thoughts? I, again, to take Prince's word, 
words. I absolutely adored this movie. This was a blast. Uh, Bella was watching it with me and kind of gave up halfway through because she had a lot of anxiety about what was going to happen. But I, I think I'm going to try right. to watch it again with her, maybe during when it's actually October because we're recording this in September. Um, right. Because I, I, I had such a blast. I think this movie was totally fun. Um, definitely one of my favorites out of all wow. like this past year of us doing movies. Yeah. It, it's just, no it was way. just entertaining, man. I just had a good time watching it. I love that. And uh, guys, I, I hope you guys liked this movie too. If you guys watched it and have that breakdown with us. Uh, but please let us know how you feel about this movie on Twitter at goodnightlife. That's night with a K. But this was Nightlight, a horror movie podcast. I was one of your hosts, Freddie, also known as Nighty Night. Alongside me on the web, we had David. Stay spoopy, everyone. Always staying spoopy. Our efforts to get our show out is not enough. We need your help to spread us out to more ghoulish nights. Reading those five stars is very helpful, but we would love for you to recommend the podcast to someone you know who would enjoy it. Yeah, you can further support us over at the show at patreon.com forward slash goodnightlife and that's night with a what? K. By pledging on Patreon, you will have access to the show as early as Monday. If you don't have any bucks to toss, don't worry about it, sweetheart. <laughs> A new episode is released every Friday on most podcast services around the world. And remember, everybody, don't forget your nightlight. <laughs>